How's everyone doing? Good. Just gonna set up my office here. Um. Yeah, Glenn and Glenn and Sarah are away. They're on holiday, so you're stuck with me. Haha. <laughs> um. Okay. Okay. I don't really know how to start this, but I'll say this. Um, these last few weeks have been just so intense, so intense, and, and going through just like so many different, different aspects, um, and a big theme in the last like month with conversations I've been in and whatever um, was, was just like, this idea of of temptation and and the fear of the Lord and and wisdom and um, and it really brought me to this conclusion brought me to three conclusions and I guess that's where I'm going to start yeah that's where I'm going to start I can't I can't accept to believe that that Jesus just died on the cross solely for our sins to be forgiven. Because it doesn't make sense for us to be headed on our way to heaven, but but look like hell on the way there. Second thing would be, I can't accept that Jesus died on the cross for our sins to be forgiven, but us being full of guilt, shame, and condemnation our whole lives on the way there. And the third conclusion, Jesus didn't die on the cross solely for us to just have a, a good, nice life and, and have a nice job and a nice church and nice community groups. But he came to bring life and life to the full. Thank you, yes. Okay, my three conclusions there. Okay, so let's wrap it up now. Worship team, come up. Yeah, I was kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, like there's so much more to the gospel than, than our sins forgiven. Like that's just half of it. That's just half of the gospel. If Jesus died on the cross just so we could get into heaven, we would pray the sinner's prayer and just kapoof, we're in heaven. But we're here. We're here for a reason. And... And so many times I've lost sight. Um, I've lost sight of the big picture God wanted. God has for my life. And I found myself last night just praying, and and having that moment of God's plan, God's grand scheme is so marvelous and beautiful. The story of humanity is telling God's story from the beginning, before time begun, to the very end of Revelation. It's all telling God's story. It's unwinding His character. It's all part of His plan to reveal Himself to us. And, and so I found myself with such a small vision just like, okay, God, like, I'm just going to do a good sermon tomorrow. 
and and then I'm gonna like have a good care group with with my boys on on Thursday night. But but I kind of came back to that that core of of that moment where God like where I had an encounter with with the Lord with His love where I just like back to the beginning back to that foundation of why like why I do things the way like why I'm living the way I chose to live and okay I'm just going to be bold I really believe I really believe um, that God's plan for Kelowna is revival I really believe it and and I know maybe some of us have been kind of like like whoa like calm down you know <laughs> you don't got to get all like revival talk on us but you know what I'm going to <laughs> I really believe that God's plan for Kelowna is revival there's churches on every street corner everywhere we go there's a church I was talking to my buddy from Australia and he was just baffled because he's like, you know what's crazy about Kelowna? Like in my hometown, maybe I saw one church, but literally everywhere I go, there's a church. And I'm like, you know what, you're right. And there's, the, the thing is that there's, there's people, give, people have given words and prophecies about Kelowna and about revival and about actually this city being, being a place where God's spirit is going to move. And that's what it's going to be known for. And, and I, I don't really know what to do with all that. And I'm, I'm pretty new at all this stuff. But I, I need to hold on to God's promises. That he wants to, to influence everywhere we walk and everywhere we go. And that if there's Christians in Kelowna, you're going to be able to tell. <laughs> like... It, there's going to be, in the Bible, in Revelation, it's a climax of the greatest revival the world has ever seen. And at the same time, the greatest amount of darkness that the world has ever seen. And I read the Bible, and I read like these, these prophecies of end times, and I'm like, okay, God, when, when is this actually going to, like, when are we actually going to start living in such a way like this? Like, where's that generation that you talk about in Revelation that says they overcame, um, they overcame the devil by, by the blood of Jesus and by their testimony. And they loved not their life unto death. Like they, they completely forsook their whole lives. That's us. That's the bride. And I'm like, okay, God, am I living this way? Like, do I love, do I love my life? Um, or, or, do I, or do I love you even to the point of death? And... And I think the conclusion I've come to is, is the fear of the Lord. And in the Bible, there's so many encounters where, where people will encounter, like for example, Moses with the burning bush, and, and Mary, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Paul, and John, uh, the beloved, the revelator, where, where he's just like, where God appears to them, and the fear of the Lord comes into their life and and they are just they like fall like like John fell like a dead man when he saw his best friend Jesus and and here's the thing we need to have a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord because it almost looks 
absolutely nothing like um, the, the bad fear that we know. The only, different, the only similarity is when you're overcome by like, fear, it, it overcomes you and it controls your decisions. Like, like fight or flight, right? This is science or whatever. Um, the fear of the Lord, you experience the fear of the Lord and it comes over you and it influences your entire life. And it's not, it's not that bad fear like, uh, like fight or flight kind of fear. It's a holy fear and it's actually a really good thing. And it doesn't sound, it, it kind of like saying like the fear of the Lord, like you'll tell a, like a, a new believer that and they're like, what? Like that doesn't make sense. I thought like God is love and, and it doesn't make sense for me to fear him. But we, we need to have a, the biblical understanding of what the fear of the Lord looks like. And so the verse I've come to is Proverbs 16.6. 6. And, and if you have a Bible, you can follow along. I don't like, like, okay, I, A, I don't like slides, and B, I forgot to get slides. So, like, I, when, I lo- like when I listen to a sermon, I love having my own Bible or, like, my phone or whatever so I can, I can go back and I can look at it and I know where I found it. And it's in the, f- like, familiar, like, text that I'm used to. And I can highlight and stuff. So turn with me to Proverbs 16, 6. And we're only going to read one verse out of here. Um, but Proverbs 16, 6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. There's three things here. Atonement, which is that first part, by steadfast love and faithfulness, uh, iniquity is atoned for. And the fear of the Lord is, is the encounter, which is the second thing. And the third thing turns away from evil. That very last bit of the verse is obedience. So there's those three things that I want to focus on today. And so I guess I'll start out by talking about uh, the encounter that John had with his best friend, Jesus. So John, for, you, for you, those of you who don't know, he was John, like Jesus' beloved disciple, like his closest pal. Like they walked together for three years. And, and, and they, they cuddled. They did. Am I, it's true. It's in the Bible. It says, at the Last Supper, like John was against Jesus' bosom. Isn't isn't that just your least favorite word, bosom? Add that to your list of least favorite words. A lot, yeah, never mind. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of relationship that Jesus and John had. Um, it's in there, I'm serious, look it up. And, and, and so John, he, in, in Revelation 1.9, he says, this is what he says. Uh, maybe I'll just, I'll just kind of um, explain it to you instead of read it. But, but he's, he's exiled to the island of Patmos. And, and he's there, and he's, he's all by himself, basically. And he says that while he was there, um, on, on a specific day, the day of the Lord, he was in the Spirit. And he's in a, he's in a vision of some sort, or, or something like that. And, and he hears a trumpet, um, a voice like a trumpet, and it's saying to him to write down the things that he, he sees and he hears. And he turns to see what this voice is. And, and he says that in the midst of seven golden lampstands, 
there is one like the Son of Man, so like his best friend Jesus. It is Jesus, but he looks so different. And, and he says he has a long robe and a gold sash around his chest. And his eyes, his eyes are like flames of fire. And, and his hair, his hairs are white, white as wool, white as snow. And, and his feet, his feet are like bronze, like refined in a fire. And, and, and his voice is like the roar of many waters. I remember standing in, um, in uh, Victoria Falls in, in South Africa, or in, uh, in Zambia, I mean, and just like the intense roar of, of this waterfall, just so loud, like you have to yell at the person next to you to hear them, and you're getting completely drenched because of all the water that comes up and falls down again. This is how John describes Jesus' voice. And, and he says there's seven stars in, in his right hand and a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and his face is shining like the sun. What? His face is shining like the sun. Like, I can't even look at the sun. Well, in the eclipse, I was, I was in uh, Washington during the eclipse and I couldn't help myself. I kept looking and I kept looking and then like, there's like a little like crescent wherever I looked afterwards. It was pretty bad. <laughs> Don't look at the sun. <laughs> But like, G- like John's saying these things. He's describing his best friend Jesus. And he's like, guys, like, like, this is what he looked like. And he says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at, at his feet as though I was dead. He said, I, I just fell. Like I saw my, my best friend Jesus and I just fell like a dead person. Like, that's how intense this was. Um, me, okay, for those of you who don't know, that, that's Rebecca, my fiancé, as of one month and a little bit. And, yep, yay. Um, and I remember one time we were on one of our first dates, and we're walking downtown, and we, play the, we used to play this dumb game that's like, what are the odds? And basically, you say, what are the odds? You'll do this. And then... You count down, and if you get the same number in your head, they have to do it. So basically, I was walking. Becca used to be really afraid of water. Not anymore, but she used to be. We worked on it. <laughs> um, and we were walking downtown on the docks, and there was this, this like, support beam, of a big X underwater. And I said, Becca, what are the odds that you would swim down underneath that X, underneath that support beam? And we're like, okay. And then we count down. And she lost. And she begged me not to make her do it. I, of course I didn't make her do it. But she said, Davy, please, I'll die of fear. Like, I'll just swim down there and I'll just die. And I'm like, that's impossible. You can't die of fear. Like, it's, no. But apparently this John guy, he said, I fell like a dead guy. So I guess she was right. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That was the point of that, that illustration. Um, so to, okay, so to understand God, we must have a healthy understanding of fear. And I'm not going to water it down and say, well, no, fear of the Lord is, is respect and awe. But like, that's just not what I see in the Bible. It's not like John um, appeared before Jesus and he's like, oh, 
I better muster up some respect and awe. No, no, he fell dead, like terrified. I'll give you another example. Um, Isaiah, he, he says in Isaiah chapter 6, um, and, and you can turn there with me if you would like. Isaiah chapter 6, um, verse 1, it says, in the, in the year of King Uzziah, in the, sorry, in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. Two covered their face, two covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Like, this is intense. Like, why would we be any different from, from these angels that have six wings, two to cover their face, like two to cover the rest of themselves, and two to fly, and they're just like, this being is amazing. And that's what they do for all eternity. That's what they do for all eternity. Like, if you think worship is boring, like, we're going to be worshiping for all eternity. And these angels never got tired of it, so I'm guessing it's awesome. Um, and, and when we see, when Isaiah saw who God was, he had this realization of who he was. And he said, woe is me, I am destroyed. Like, I'm going to die. Like, just game over. But what happened was, was one of the seraphim flew up to him, having a, 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 in his hand a burning coal that he took from tongs from the altar, and he touched his mouth, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt has been taken away, your sin is atoned for. Atoned. That's the same word we saw in, in, in Proverbs. By, by love, um, it says, by steadfast love faithful, faith and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. So this leads us to our first point, atonement. So just like the coal from the altar paid for all, um, paid for all his sins, like cleansed his lips, Jesus paid for ours. And it's like, okay, classic. Atonement, redeemed, paid for, justified. But here's the thing. We can all rattle this off like it's like good theology and stuff, but I want to I go deep with this. Um, because Jesus, it says Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Before time began, Jesus was the sacrifice for your sins. Before time began, he was the lamb that was slain. He was that sacrifice. And if, and if you look at the image of the cross, if you look at the image of the cross, it's this, it's this eternal image. And, and it says that, that Jesus, again, the bosom word, Jesus was at the bosom of the Father before time began. And so before time began, God at his very core is sacrificial love. At God's very core, Jesus, the lamb that was slain, sacrificial love. 
And if you look at the picture of the cross with the crown of thorns and, and the blood flowing from Jesus' side and, and the thunder and the lightning all around him, you, you look deeper and you see the same image of God with a cl- crown of glory and with a river of life throwing, flowing from him in the New Jerusalem, in the end of Revelation. And the thunder all around the throne room, it's the same image. It's the same image. It's the same God. At his very core, he is sacrificial love. And I have got so many times in the trap of living sin-focused, living like conscious of, of sin and thinking about my past and all this stuff. But the reality is, is let God be found true and every man a liar. Let God be found true and every man a liar. And I just realized I can't afford to have my own opinion when I could have his opinion. Isn't that right? Like, what does our opinion matter when, when God has something else to say? And, and how God sees reality is right. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, um, 21 and 22, there's this, there's this picture of our inheritance. This is how God sees reality. So imagine, just imagine this. You're sitting in a room, and, um, and you're with your lawyer, and, and, and he's reading out your inheritance. Okay? So you're sitting there, and, uh, and he says, Oh, that's interesting. You, you inherit the whole world. The whole thing? Yeah. You inherit the whole world. Oh, okay. Well, oh, you also inherit life and death. Okay, I don't, I don't know what to do with the whole world, but life and death, like, who knows? <laughs> and you also inherit the present and the things to come. Okay. That's a lot of inheritance. Okay. That is, I, I don't even know what to do with all that, but that is what God says. It says, So let no, no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the whole world, or, or the world, or life, or death, or present, or future, all are yours, and you are Christ's. See, here's the thing. He says that our inheritance is the present and the future, but he does not include the past because the past was purchased. The past was done away with. You see, you don't even have legal access to the past. And, and every time you revisit the past, you're partnering with deception because the way you remember the past isn't in the same condition that you remember it in. It's forgotten. The past actually doesn't even count anymore. Like, like would you ever sell someone a car and, and find a spare key in your house and then go take that car out for a spin? No. I hope not. Jesus bought your past. It's not yours anymore. Your past sin isn't yours anymore. Don't even think about it. Don't even go there. You're redeemed. You're forgiven completely. And, and, and for you to revisit your past actually is revisiting something that isn't even yours anymore. 
Because your past, your sins have been purchased. And this is where your identity starts. This is where atonement, it atoned for your sins. That's where your identity starts. You're 100% pure and 100% righteous. Okay? So that's the top part. Through his steadfast love and faithfulness, your sin is atoned for. That's the starting spot. The second part, the fear of the Lord. Um, and, like the, the encounters that people have in the Bible, um, that those encounters, um, you, you need them. You need those encounters with God. That, that just feeling of just like absolute like, God is so big. <laughs> like, like um, on a side note, some people like this devalue the encounters because like, oh, you know what, Dave, you can't, you can't be living by, by, your, by your feelings. You can't just be searching for the next encounter. Like you just, you need to like put aside your feelings. No, those feelings that you've had where you look back on your, on your past and you, you remember that, that moment where you felt the love of God and you remember that moment where you realize your sins were atoned for. You remember that moment where, where the, the fear of the Lord comes to you and you're like, God, like I'm going to give my entire life to you. Like I'm going to give everything to you. Like those moments are life-changing. Every single person um, that, that I've talked to that has this like, this amazing task at hand, they all come back to a time like, like I talked to someone's like, man, when, when did you decide to just give your whole life to this cause? Like when did you decide to just dedicate everything for this cause? And they say, you know what? There's one day where I had this encounter with God and everything changed. And that encounter is, is the fear of the Lord. And, and, and usually... Um, in, in those times, you're giving a, a task that's impossible. And in Revelation 1, um, John, John fell at God's feet and, and God told him, write down everything you see. And if you've read the book of Revelation, it's kind of like, what's going on? So, like, it might have been kind of intimidating for John to do this, you know, and just, like, send out this, um, this book of Revelation. And it actually, his, his previous books actually took a while to get recognized by, by, by the church, um, not because he was, like, um, a bad person, but, but because people were, like, misusing his material and, and using it to rebel and, and all this stuff. And so he already had some problems with, with his writings being recognized. And now he's going to send this book of Revelation out. But, but God told him um, to do it. And the thing is, in every single encounter with God, it's, they fall in fear. When they see an angel, they fall in fear. But you know what always comes right after? Do not be afraid. It's a common theme in the Bible. Do not be afraid. John falls and, and, and God says, do not be afraid. He says, um, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. He told John not to fear. He told Isaiah not to fear. He told Mary not to fear. He told Moses not to fear. It's this contrast of once you have that fear of the Lord, he says, do not fear. Because that encounter of the fear of the Lord is an invitation to intimacy. 
It's an invitation to know him better. And, and once you get to that point, you don't have to fear him anymore. Because, because once you fear him, your whole life changes. And you need that encounter. You need to fear the Lord. You need it to, to be able to surrender everything. Um, without the fear of the Lord, you, you're never going to step into the life that God has planned for you. And the thing is, the encounter, he, he, calls, you, he calls you friend. He calls you um, his bride. He calls you his child. That's what he calls you. He's inviting you into intimacy in the encounter. And, and, and once you see him for who he really is, your whole life will just be messed up. Like any, any other plan that you thought you had, it, all of a sudden everything changes when you have that encounter. And many of you know what I'm talking about. When, when you look back on, on, on when you first met God and you had this, this plan in your life to live for yourself and you had this plan to, to build your own kingdom, but you have the fear of the Lord come into your life and you're like, no, I, I want to build his kingdom. I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of man that, that I, w- I, w- I will build. And so it comes to our third point of obedience. And, and the fact is that the Spirit of God is at work in our lives. And, and it's this, and throughout the Bible, it says, Be holy as I'm holy, be perfect, be blameless. Be pure. That's what it says. And, and it's, it's sanctification. And it's, there's a theological term for it called eschatological, something like that, realism. <laughs> Lol. Eschatological. Is that it? You're in university. That's intense. Um... Uh, so that means that you are in the process of being made who you really are. That means that you are holy and you are in the process of becoming holy. You are pure and you are in the process of becoming pure. You, you are blameless and you're in the process of becoming blameless. They're both equally as true. Like you are holy. And, and you know what? There's, there's a place that, that you can walk and it's the fear of the Lord where you don't have any hidden agenda inside, where you're not a whitewashed tomb, where you don't have um, back home like hidden stuff that no one knows about, where, where you actually walk in purity. And there is a time, there is a time where you, you say, God, search my heart and, 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 and reveal to me anything that isn't from you. David prays that prayer in the Psalms. But, there, but beyond that, you can actually walk in holiness. And you say, Davy, that's impossible. Like, you can't walk blameless. You can't walk holy. And so much of the problems we have is that we think the Christian life is possible. By definition, it's impossible. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. He says, heal the sick. For me, a headache is impossible. As soon as Jesus steps into the picture, the odds drastically change. He says, be holy as I'm holy. 
that's impossible. As soon as Jesus steps into the picture, all of a sudden, I am holy and I am in the process of becoming holy. You see, Isaiah was given this impossible assignment. He sa- God says, who will be my voice that will go out into the nations? Who will, who will speak for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Moses says, like, you want me to go set your people free? Like, you want me to go to Pharaoh, me, a, a, a shepherd boy, I stutter, and you want me to go tell this, this dude that thinks he's God, you got to let all your slaves go. You see, God has always assigned people impossible tasks. And if your life is possible without God, like if, you're, if your Christian walk day to day actually can be 100% doable, if the Holy Spirit never showed up, you're doing something wrong. What if you actually stepped into the impossible that God has for you to do? Like, what if you actually took those assignments that God has given you, those burdens that go beyond just a career, that be, go beyond just your everyday life of walking through, the, walking through the office or walking through school or on the construction site or, or whatever. Beyond that, you have an assignment. Beyond that, God has something for you. And these encounters that we get, these encounters of the fear of the Lord, of the invitation to intimacy, of God's love, they, they lead us into obedience. It's a love for God that leads us into obedience. Those who love me will obey my commandments. It's the fear of the Lord that leads into obedience. Because when you fear God, you don't fear anything else. You see, we're all going to appear before him one day. Every single person, even like people who don't even believe in him, everyone's going to appear before him and, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And in that day, you're going to hear one of two things. Well done, my good and faithful servant, come on in. Or you're going to hear, I don't know you. You see, Jesus says to John, the beloved, he says to John, do not fear, I hold the keys to death in Hades. I defeated the grave these keys, I have the final say. I have the final say who goes to, to, who is in eternity with me forever. And I have the final say on death as well. He has the final say. And, and the reality is that you can go to church your whole life and not be saved. That's the reality and that's a scary reality. And, and I just think to myself, wouldn't it be easy? <laughs> wouldn't it be a, a bit easier if just, for, um, if just for five seconds God would just appear before us and we'd all fall like dead people <laughs> and we'd have the fear of the Lord? I know two things would happen. We would obey him and we wouldn't fear anything else. We would be completely fearless that's the fear of the Lord, and that's what we need. That's, like, the answer to, to revival in Kelowna is, is to live according, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And Jesus, the thing is, he, he, 
like, he could snap his fingers and do whatever he wants. Like, God can do whatever he wants, but he decides to partner with you. He decides to partner with, with broken vessels. He decides to partner with weak people. He decides, um, it says, he, he inhabits our praises. He decides to have um, his home in our imperfect worship, in our imperfect praise of imperfect people. He desires you. He desires relationship with you. He desires partnership with you. I'm going to invite the band up, um, and we're going to worship. You see, like, Jesus didn't have to use anyone. He didn't have to choose a shepherd boy who, who would sin again and again. He didn't have to choose Moses, the murderer. He didn't have to choose um, Samson, the, <laughs> the womanizer. <laughs> like, he didn't have to choose these people. But they had encounters with God that they dedicated their lives to serving him. And, and the fear of the Lord um, and, and love for God just fueled their whole walk. And so just like, let's, let's just close our eyes right now.